Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So God was the only source of Joseph's blessing. And so what she was doing was assaulting Joseph's supply line of blessing. Now, all through the trials in Joseph's life, Joseph had only one hope, only one hope of deliverance, and God was Joseph's only hope. So what Potiphar's wife was doing is she was mounting an assault on Joseph's hope. And the worst assault that Joseph was experiencing, that Potiphar's wife was making on Joseph, was on Joseph's companionship with God. When King David committed adultery, awful time, and he was really afraid, and the one thing he was really afraid of, and he expressed it in Psalm 51, the Psalm of Repentance, in Psalm 51, verse 11, Psalm 51, 11, his fear comes out when he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So after David commits adultery, he writes Psalm 51. It's a psalm of repentance, and he writes these words. So after adultery, David's greatest fear was that he would lose the presence of God. And this was the only compensation that Joseph had through all of his life was the presence of God. So what Potiphar's wife was doing here was an assault on Joseph's greatest benefit, that he had, his only benefit, his only compensation that he had in life, which was, verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now, the name Satan means, in Hebrew, the adversary, the enemy. And Satan really has one goal as our enemy, and that's to destroy. That's all he does. The thief cometh not but for to kill and to destroy. That's his whole goal, is to destroy. And he wanted to destroy Joseph. And so the devil's got a toolbox of destruction, and he's got tools in there. And so the devil tried to destroy Joseph physically when his brothers had agreed to kill Joseph, but God rescued him through Benjamin, and the devil was frustrated. And then the devil tried to destroy Joseph by having him enslaved and sold as a slave, but God rescued him by having Potiphar purchase Joseph, and the devil was frustrated. And so the devil, in this state of frustration now, he reaches into his toolbox of destruction and he pulls out his old trusty tool of destruction that has worked so well to destroy men, sexual sins. And Potiphar's wife is the tool that the devil resorts to in order to destroy Joseph in this way. So the devil tempted Joseph on his left side with all sorts of adversities and physical dangers, and now the devil turns to tempt Joseph on his right side as a young man 
who lived in a land where these sexual sins were just commonplace. And so now the devil is trying to destroy him. And that's exactly what we see the Jewish people were going through, that how he wanted to destroy the Jewish people when the king of Moab, Balak, looked for ways for how to destroy the Jewish people. So the king, Balak, he sent for his master wizard, Balaam. Do you go and curse the Jewish people? But God rescued the Jewish people by telling Balaam, don't go to curse them. He did that in Numbers 22, 12. God said unto Balaam, thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Then King Balak, he finally persuades Balaam to finally go curse the Jewish people. But God again rescues the Jewish people by putting an unseen enemy with a sword in the road, and Balaam's donkey sees it, and then the donkey refuses to go. And then actually it comes about that the donkey talks. But finally, Balaam does reach the place where he's going to curse the Jewish people. He's going to look at them down there. He's going to curse them. But God again rescues the Jewish people by causing Balaam to actually bless the Jewish people, as he said in Numbers 23.10, Numbers 23.10, when he says, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. Great blessing. Then King Balak is frustrated, so he brings Balaam to another place to look at them and curse the Jewish people. But God again rescues the Jewish people by causing Balaam to even give a greater blessing on the Jewish people when he said in Numbers 23, 21, 23, 21, when he says, God hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is God is with him. The shout of a king is among them. And then he went on and said, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. He says he brought him out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. There's no enchantment against his Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what God hath wrought. Behold, the people shall rise up as a lion, lift himself as the young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat the prey and drink the blood of the slain. So great blessings. So the devil now has tried every way to destroy, let's take it from Joseph's side, and rescue him, and he's tried every way to try to destroy the Jewish people and rescue him. He's in a state of frustration, the devil is, and trying to destroy the Jewish people, only to find that God keeps rescuing them time after time. So he resorts to his trusty tool of sexual destruction, just as he did with Joseph. That was a strategy that worked, sexual immorality. So the destruction of the Jewish people that Balak could not accomplish by sending Balaam to go send to Israel, Balak now was able to accomplish by sending sexy Moabite women, as recorded in Numbers 25.1. Numbers 25.1, and Israel abode in Shittim, and the, the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab and these daughters. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every man, every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. So 
What Potiphar's wife is doing now to Joseph was the grand assault. And today, with the rise of pornography and the acceptance of all these sexual connotations in entertainment, we've got to see all that as a grand assault to destroy purity and friendship with God and companionship with God and blessing. That's how sexual sin needs to be evaluated. Really, is it worth the price? Is it worth the price of losing purity and friendship with God and companionship with God? Yielding to sexual temptation, is it really worth it? And people yield to sexual temptation today like it was nothing. It's nothing. The same nonchalance that Esau had in Genesis 25, 32, Genesis 25, 32, Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? But as for Potiphar's wife, when she cast her eyes on Joseph, she had already committed adultery with him in her heart. And now we read this in verse 6, his wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. That's such a great graphic description. I want to thank the translators for choosing that word, cast, because it's a great word. It's a great word. When you hear the word cast, what sport comes to mind? Yeah, that's it, fishing, you know, especially fly fishing, you know, where you you picture the man, he's standing in the stream or the river, and, you know, there's waders on, and he's casting his line in the river, and his line is attached to the line as a fly, an artificial fly or a lure or a bait or something like that, you know, and then in there is the hook, in the bait or the lure is the hook. That's what we picture, the fisherman casting his lure with the hook hidden in it. And it just goes sailing across the water and lands. And some fish sees it and says, boy, this is my lucky day. You know, Just look at what dropped right in front of me. I can't believe it. Just watch me. I'm going to be the fish of grab and go. You know, and the fisherman, he's got a different idea. He's got an idea of grab and come, you know. And just imagine the surge of the different feelings of the fish. Have you ever thought about what a fish feels like? <laughs> that was my, one of my best vacations in Maui. I, <laughs> I put on a mask and a snorkel, and I got in the water. It was only about three foot of water. <laughs> and I laid there, and I followed a fish for about 45 minutes, a little fish who was about this big. And I wondered what he was thinking about. It was a great, great way. If you ever want to really get away from it all, do that. Anyway, the surge of feelings in this fish, the first feeling of surge is excitement to grab the bait. And then the next surge is wonder. I wonder what is this sticker feeling I've got in my mouth? And the next surge of feeling is shock. Wait a minute. What's going on? I'm being dragged against my will. That's so graphic. And that's what's captured in verse 7 by this word cast like the action of casting the lure with a hook that's hidden in it. And so the word cast in verse 7, it reminds me of what my wife Cheryl, she pointed out to me about how women who wear these revealing, low-cut, tight, short clothing, you know, they may appear on the surface to be as naive as Daisy May. (laughs) But they're very calculating. She would show this to me and they know exactly what they're doing. They're just like the fishermen. They're casting their lures on the water, and just like the fisherman is looking to see which fish has become attracted to the lure. And women use their eyes to see which men are looking at them, to see both which men and how many men. 
they've caught. I mean, you ever watch a, a woman with a revealing clothing walk down the street and then she turns around to see the men that are looking at her? You know, that's a fisherman. He's seeing how many fish he's caught on the line. Cheryl used to say to me, now look at how she just turned around. <laughs> she's seeing how many foolish, like, foolish men like fish she's caught on her hooks. Yeah. Just like the fisherman who pulls in a line with a lot of hooks on it and he doesn't know how many fish he's caught, but he's seen, well, how many fish have I caught? You know? Now, some girls do it just for fun to see, to see which men and how many men they can catch. You know, they're like the fishermen who catch and release, you know, <laughs> catch and release. But then there are those who catch to kill. And the catch to kill is described in Proverbs 7.10, Proverbs 7.10, where it says, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me this day. Have I paid my vows? Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face. I have found thee. See all these descriptions here. The attire of an harlot, that's the bait. That's the lure. She's cast out in the fishing there. And she caught him and kissed him. It's like the fisherman who yanks back on the pole and sets the hook in the fish. And, and then he knows he's caught that fish. See, Proverbs 6.26, Proverbs 6.26 says, For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Will hunt for the precious life. Huh? Scott's a hunter. You can ask him about this. The means of a whorish woman are her wares, and she hunts for those who start with the lustful look, the lustful look. And the Lord Jesus Christ described taking this bait and this lustful looking when he said in Matthew 5.28, Matthew 5.28, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about plucking the eye out, it's pretty drastic. He's referring to denying access to the eye. And the only remedy for looking and lusting after women is deny the eye access to look and lust. That's what Job did. He denied his eye access to look and lust when he said in Job 31.1, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? When the look digresses to a lustful thought, then the eyes need to be disciplined. They need to be stopped. It's amazing. It's just amazing that the person who's writing all these proverbs here, the person who wrote the most about this danger of this temptation, King Solomon. What happened to him? First <laughs> Kings 11, 1. First Kings 11, 1. King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of the Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, and the Hittites. You know, one wasn't enough for him. But he had to go and, all right. and Nehemiah, 1326, Nehemiah 1326, Nehemiah said, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God 
and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. It's a sobering warning to think that the man of wisdom fell into the sin by these very things that he warned about. And he was led by the Spirit of God when he wrote those things, like in Proverbs 4.25, Proverbs 4.25, let thine eyes look right on, let thine eyelids look straight before thee. It reminds me of when San Diego Hardware, which I haven't been there, but it was a great place, but it's moved. But it used to be located on Fifth Avenue. Anybody remember that? San Diego Hardware, okay, good. Some of you old guys. So on Fifth Avenue, and in the 70s, I used to like to go down there. But at that time, downtown San Diego was a sleazy sailor town. And the hardware store, they had these pornography stores and women used to stand in the doorways there. So I go down there with my two boys and we would walk down to the hardware store and we would walk, you know, past these women standing there. And I used to quote this verse to the boys as we're walking down Fifth Avenue. I used to say, now boys, I would say, let thine eyes look right on. <laughs> Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. <laughs> yeah. Because the road to looking and lusting after women is very dangerous road. Is what happens to the men who give in to the sexual temptation are described in Proverbs 9.18. Proverbs 9.18. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. And Proverbs 5 5, Proverbs 5 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. And Proverbs 7 27, Proverbs 7 27, her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Boy, this couldn't have been written any better by Edgar Allan Poe. This is really something, you know. Proverbs 2 18, Proverbs 2 18. Her house inclineth unto death, her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. Now, these are some really frightful descriptions when you have words like inclineth unto death and paths unto the dead, and none return again, and neither take they hold of the paths of life. So those are all describing this very, very, very terrible And there's just something, I don't know what it is, but there's something about sexual sins that makes a person's heart very hard to be reached by the gospel. I don't know why. But there's something, when a person gets involved in this, their heart gets very hard, and it's like they said, neither take the hold of the paths of life. But it all starts with a look and lust. And then it becomes an addiction that results in a man not being able to look at a woman without lusting. And this description is described for us in 2 Peter 2.14, 2 Peter 2.14, where it says, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. That's why Job made a covenant with his eyes, because the road downward all starts with the eyes. The road to adultery started with David's eyes. In 2 Samuel 11, 2, 2 Samuel 11, 2, it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. He saw a woman. This is the road to destruction clearly over and over again with Samson. It all started with his eyes. 
in Judges 14.1, Judges 14.1, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Samson saw a woman in Timnath. Judges 16.1, Judges 16.1, then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Samson saw there an harlot. You know, in Germany, prostitution is legal, as it's also legal in Israel. I never call it the Holy Land. Anyway, I remember one time landing at Frankfurt Airport in the 1980s, and I was tired, you know, flying a long time overnight and all that, and pornography was being advertised on the walls at the airport there as the passengers walked by. And I thought, you know, I don't want to deal with this. So I took my glasses off, which makes me practically blind. <laughs> I'm surprised, that, and I walked down there. I denied my eyes access. And when a man is tired, his defenses are down. And when a man is drunk with alcohol, his defenses are down, and he's vulnerable to this sin. And that's what's warned about in Proverbs 23.31, Proverbs 23.31, where it says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eye shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall utter perverse things. See, thine eyes shall behold strange women. But in this case, in verse 7, when it says in verse 7 that his master's eyes cast, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, you know, when it says that, she was actually using her eyes as debate. And she was trying to catch Joseph to look at her. And this is what's said in Proverbs 6.25, Proverbs 6.25, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. I don't know how you do that. Uh, bedroom eyes, I don't know. But anyway, Potiphar's wife used her eyes to try to engage Joseph in a glance. Her eyes were her lure. Now, we see Potiphar's wife's invitation was to commit adultery. But notice, she does not refer to this act that God would refer to it as. She doesn't say, commit adultery with me. <laughs> she just says, just simply in verse 7, lie with me. You know, it sounds so inoffensive, you know? I mean, it, it doesn't sound so distasteful. I mean, lie with me. Take a rest. And that was her invitation. You know, it's like, children, let's play house together. Like, we're both tired. Let's just lie down next to each other. I mean, the invitation to sin never portrays sin for what it really is. The invitation to commit these sexual sins is never according to how God refers to these sexual sins in Scripture like we've just seen. It's strange, you know, that he didn't say something along the lines of Matthew 5.29. She didn't say, let's have our bodies cast into hell. <laughs> No, she just said in a childlike manner, come on, let's just lie down together. It's odd she didn't talk about, she didn't describe it like Proverbs 9.18, Proverbs 9.18. She didn't say, let's go to where the dead are. Let's go down to the depths of hell. Sounds like fun, right? No, she just said in a playful manner, let's lie together. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Come meet Pam Tebow, Tim Tebow's mom, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th at the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference presented by the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Pam Tebow will be speaking on homeschooling her five children, including Tim Tebow, and will worship with the musician and singer Michael Sanchez from The Voice, and hear from special speakers Kevin Conover from Educate for Life, Pat Roy, formerly of Jonathan Park, and CEO Tom Cannard, president of the First Creation Museum and Friendship with God Bible radio teacher. Cost for the event is only $15 per day, and enjoy a Chick-fil-A lunch and fellowship with other homeschoolers. So invite your friends and register today for the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference with Pam Tebow at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. 